0: From the Southeast Florida studios of the law firm Trip Scott in Fort Lauderdale, this is Politics and Sunshine, a continuing series of interviews with local and national subject matter experts tackling the issues that make you stand up. In this episode, Trip Scott CEO Ed Poswale talks to former education secretary and author Betsy DeVos. Here's your host,
1: Ed Poswale. Today, we're so honored to have Secretary Betsy DeVos with us. Uh, As you know, uh, Secretary DeVos spent four years in Washington as the Secretary of Education and has spent a lifetime in helping students achieve their potentials and their goals and giving parents the power where it belongs in education through educational choices. Secretary, welcome.
2: Thanks, Ed. It's great to be here.
1: You know, I want to start by talking about, you know, your essentially really life's work in Providing parents of all, of all variety, clear choices for their education of their children.
2: Yeah, it's been uh, over 35 years since I started to advocate for families to be able to have the opportunity to choose the best fit for their children's education. And it's very exciting to see the momentum that has been building around that across the country today.
1: Yeah, we've seen that in Arkansas as an example under Governor Huckabee, and obviously just here in Florida under Governor DeSantis HB1, which would be essentially Universal Opportunity Scholarships instead of vouchers in Florida for all. What do you think of that?
2: It's so exciting. You know, in addition to West Virginia and Iowa and Arizona and Utah and, uh, you know, so many other states are actually debating significant expansions of programs that they've had for a few years that have been pretty small. But it's it, it, education freedom is on a roll because parents awaken to the fact that All was not well in their children's schools. They saw firsthand, particularly during all of the COVID shutdowns, exactly what was going on. And it's been really exciting to see them find their voices and uh, come together to say we we want to have this opportunity to have our children back and in uh, places that are going to work for them.
1: And you've spent some time in actually defining educational freedom in your book, Hostages No More. Exactly. And But define for us what you mean by educational freedom.
2: So I use the term educational freedom or education freedom instead of school choice because I think it helps us think more broadly about what education can be and what it can look like. When we say school choice, we immediately come, what immediately comes to mind is buildings and systems and infrastructure. Well, not all education needs to have massive infrastructure. We are seeing a rapid surge in homeschooling and um, and virtual schooling opportunities. And those are only going to continue to grow and get better and more, uh, you know, more prolific as more and more states give families the freedom to find that education fit.
1: So the freedom is just not having the old, the old thought about education was my child gets to go to a red brick building, gets to sit in a chair from 9 to 3, uh, 3 p.m. every day and teacher stands in front of the room and 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 talks to the talks and teaches my child that's no longer
2: well that's still going to work for many many students and that's great but we should be able to think more creatively for those kids for whom that doesn't work, sure. and when you look at that system, right. it's really 175 years old. Brought as uh, the industrial age was being introduced, right. and as you know, you were putting students in one end, teaching them all the same things, so they came out the other end ready to go to work in factories on lines doing repetitive work. That's not the way culture is, in society is today, or the economy. But so
1: no longer our economic need on that front, anyway. Right. The, but Let's talk about the two specific issues around providing some mobility or, or the different modes of education. So it's no longer just about my child sits in a seat for this number of minutes a day, a number of days, 180 days, whatever the mandate is. It is also about how the child progresses. Yeah. And so to allow the child to progress at their own rate... So it's about student achievement and success as exactly. much as it is minutes.
2: Exactly. Well, those uh, those experiments in mastery models or achievement models, I think, are going to only grow from this point forward as well. And it makes sense. If you are able to you know, master a concept in math very quickly, you should be able to move on as quickly as your abilities allow you to do. And if it takes you longer, we know that math is a discipline on which you have to to continue to build, build on, the block, con- right, yes, right. on the previous concepts and the previous concepts. So, you know, how today you just pass kids on from grade to grade because they spent the amount of time in their seat at their desk doesn't necessarily prepare them for the next steps. So uh, I think mastery is going to be, and competency is going to be a real focus for these new innovative approaches to how kids learn.
1: The second piece of that educational transformation is also about time and place, meaning they don't have to be in the red school building. They could be there sometimes, but they could also be online some other times, at different times, whenever they want, whether it's synchronous learning with a teacher involved Mm -hmm. or independent learning or asynchronous.
2: Exactly. Well, and I think about a little school in West Michigan where I live. Um, Now, those of you who haven't been to Michigan in the middle of the winter, it's very (laughs) cold, there's often lots of snow, but this little elementary school is all outdoors year-round, every day, all day. The kids are outside all day learning through the middle of the winter and rainstorms, whatever. But they're choosing to do that. They have wait lists for this school And these kids are thriving. So it's just another example of thinking differently and meeting kids where they are, where where their needs are, the way they learn.
1: One of the things that you talk about is the parental empowerment piece. Why is that so critical in this new education freedom model?
2: Well, because parents know and love their children the best. And they're the ones that should be making the decisions. And when they are empowered to do that, they're automatically more invested themselves in their child's education. You know, today, when so many students are assigned by uh, their address and zip code, it's no wonder if parents eventually check out from that when they have no other option and no other choice. With choice and empowerment, with freedom, they're going to be invested even more heavily in that child's education and future.
1: Are we seeing something different from some of the things that you push for when you were Secretary of Education versus what we're seeing now under the Biden administration.
2: Yes, very, very different. Um, we were pushing for education freedom policies, for student-centered and student-focused policies. The Biden administration has gone back to what the Obama administration was pushing through the Department of Education on every front, only farther and farther left. It is abominable to look at some of the things they are doing and the way they are focused totally around protection and expansion of the system, uh, primarily headed by the teachers' unions, the school, I prefer to call them school unions because I don't think they represent teachers very well at all. The school unions and all of their allied organizations, they are very focused on those organizations and those adult issues, not on what's right for kids.
1: Let's talk about what's right for kids in, in your view, because look, the truth is that the real issue around education is more of a civil rights question in a certain sense. Some of the folks who do not have as much resources as some others don't have the alternative to go to a private school or go to a, a religious school where they have to pay tuition. How do we change that dynamic through your education freedom model?
2: Well, the families that want something different the most often tend to be those families who are simply stuck because of their economic means, because of their socioeconomic status. And when they're given the power with the resources already designated for their child to choose something different, they'll do it and we've seen it in the, in the states that have had programs for some time, Florida being chief among them. You know, today, more than half the kids in the state of Florida are going to a school other than their assigned district school. Right. It could be another public school within that district or any other of an array or menu right. of, of options. But the point is, as they are able to do that, all the achievement levels continue to rise.
1: In the underlying is an example. One of the differences, I believe, between what your policies were and some of the policies we're seeing under the Biden administration is the centerpiece of a parent making the decision for their child.
2: Yes, absolutely. Very student-centered, student-focused. So that goes hand in glove with parents being able to make choices and decisions for their children,
1: as opposed to catering to some of the adult issues that you described, exactly. the teachers' unions or whatever. Do you think some of this awakening around uh, education freedom and parental empowerment really has been accelerated by parents' experience during COVID?
2: Absolutely. They had a front row seat to seeing what was happening in their children's schools. And in many cases, whether it was the kitchen or the living room on, on you know the screen, they saw, number one, not robust offering for distance learning. Right. Um, number two, they often saw curriculum that was totally antithetical to their values, and they were appalled by it, and uh, and number three, they just got very frustrated with the continued politicization of whether kids were actually in school or not in school in person, and so they really awakened to how little power they actually had when many families had in fact chosen the district in which they lived and paid the prices for the homes to be there. Uh, they saw how little power they actually had
1: during those lockdowns. So one last topic, and then given what we saw in Tennessee and we're, we're in Broward County and, and Parkland, uh, how, how do you address school security and safety?
2: Well, we had a school safety commission that was put in place after the Parkland tragedy. And uh, we came forward with a very robust report with a huge menu of options and items that all school administrators, school board members, parents should look at closely to tailor the um, specific needs of any individual school building to that particular location, knowing that what is needed for a school in, let's say, Kivalina, Alaska, right. is very different than Miami, Florida. Right. So there was no one-size-fits-all approach, but really a, a real close examination of best practices and acknowledging that this is something that has to be taken seriously. It's not just something to put up on the shelf and think about when a tragedy occurs.
1: If you're interested in learning more about fighting for education and freedom, I would advise you to get this book by Betsy DeVos, Hostages No More. I want to thank you so much, not just for your work as Secretary of Ed, but your life work in helping bring choices and empowering parents. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks so much, Ed. Politics in Sunshine is a production of the Fort Lauderdale law firm Trip Scott, serving Florida and beyond for over 50 years. A reminder that this podcast is for general information purposes only and does not constitute legal or professional advice. No user should act on the basis of any material contained in this podcast without obtaining proper legal or other professional advice specific to their situation. Please be sure to like and share this podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time for another fresh edition of Trip Scott's Politics and Sunshine.